Hi, this is Dr. David back with the second half of this presentation. Again, you're tuning in right now to a presentation uh, that's titled Holistic, Practical, Cognitive, Behavioral, Solution-Centered Approaches to Health, Wellness, and Mental Health and Wellness. And again, I'm Dr. David. So this is the second part of the presentation. Um, you probably already heard the first part of it, but just look for uh, part one. Uh, in the list of podcast episodes, right? And you'll find part one. But this is part two. And so on part one, I ended with, um, you know, regularly scheduled programming. In other words, the things that you take in, uh, the things that you take into your mind, your thought processes, the things that you take into your mental space from television, from radio, music, movies, from using your phone, from computers, from games, devices, things like that. And just kind of a reminder that input equals output, right? So if you're taking in junk, you're going to put out junk. If you're taking in positive stuff, empowered stuff, success, motivating, drive, um, foundational type things, then that's what you're going to get back. So if you want better results, you need to start taking in better content and stop taking in worse content, right? So if you're trying to grow and become more resilient and more courageous and more brave and more successful and more driven and more motivated, enthusiastic, uh, productive, efficient, all those kind of things, then you need to start taking in self-improvement oriented stuff and stop watching, you know, Netflix and YouTube and, and um, you know, other things that are giving you the things that you don't want, right? Unless, unless that's what you want to do. Uh, if you watch Netflix all day and you you know, want to do a television series, then hey, by all means, you'll probably learn a lot by tuning into that stuff. But if you're trying to take in empowered things, then you're better off by taking in stuff like this, right? Uh, or tuning into the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast or, you know, my books or some other source, some source of, of daily motivation, enthusiasm, improvement, uh, empowerment, motivation, and things like that, right? So be responsible for what you take in, right? Because it's going to be reflected in what you put out on a daily basis, right? And always be willing to ask for help. And when you ask for help, try to, if you can, stay focused on solid, long-term foundational solutions instead of short-sighted band-aids and short-term uh, you know, fixes because they're not going to fix things. And a lot of times they carry things that you don't want. Like, you know, if you're talking about anxiety or, um, you're talking about, you know, ADHD, the use of prescription pills that tend to be addictive in nature. So you're solving an, a problem really quickly and immediately, but it's a temporary fix. And as soon as you stop using it, your problem is usually going to actually be worse than what you started off as. So anyway, let's move on to the next slide, slide 12. So, you know, this slide is all about parenting styles, strategies, and characteristics. So some of the topics that I'd like to just kind of introduce just chat about just to kind of stir up some things in your mind of this. And one other thing I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about too, that I'll help you is if you, if you, you'll notice in the PowerPoint presentation, there are question marks behind certain things. And the difference between making a declarative statement as is, as in this is blank versus asking the question, well, what is blank is when you make a declarative statement, your mind's really not going to start searching for answers, but when you turn it into a question, it changes things, right? And so there's a reason why all these slides are starting with a question, because that's going to start a search engine in your mind, right? Um, if you turn, if you use, so for instance, if you're using Microsoft Word, uh, 
Microsoft Word is looking for you to put information there. Now, yeah, if you add chat, GPT, or something like that, and some other kind of aid, then that's a different story. But generally speaking, Microsoft Word, uh, Microsoft Excel, PowerPoint, which we're using here, and other things, they want, they want input from you, right? A search engine is different. A search engine wants input from you, and then it gives you back information or, or data, right? Unlike Microsoft Word and, and other, you know, products. So by using a question, what you're doing is you're starting a search engine in your mind to start searching for answers, right? Um, so let's start here. So some of the topics I'm going to just chat about here is per parenting styles, parenting strategies, parenting characteristics, emotional expressions, individual differences in personality dynamics, teaching by example, right? Be willing or willingness to admit that you were or wrong or made a mistake and then asking for help, which as you've noticed now, every single slide says ask for help. And that should kind of be kind of a clue to you that one of the keys to good health and wellness, good mental health and wellness, good parenting, good family dynamics, and just kind of good things in life is being willing to ask for help, right? It's not a weakness, it's a strength, right? Okay, so moving on to the next slide. So, okay, so parenting type. So I'm not gonna, obviously I can't cover every parenting type, uh, type here or parenting style here, here, but I would highly recommend that you get a book you know, uh, it's funny, you know, in the past, people, you know, when they would make obvious kind of parenting mistakes, they would go, well, you know, it's not like I had a manual for this. Well, there are actually manuals for this now, right? And there's tons of information. In fact, we went from a point where there was not enough information or solid information, and now it's almost like there's too, many, too much information. You know, if you go to Amazon and look for a book, on parenting, there's no telling what you'll find. There's a ton of things. If you have, if you want help with parenting, email me. Send me an email, and I'll send you or share my resources on Amazon that I found that I thought were good books on parenting and parenting styles and parenting characteristics. I'll be happy to share that with you, right? So just send me an email. Um, but get a book on parenting. Get a manual. Uh, you know, who cares what it is? But start somewhere, right? The book that you get, whether it's you know, Parenting for Dummies or The Idiot's Guide to Parenting or something that's written by, you know, a Harvard-trained uh, psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever, regardless of what you get, it's a starting point, right? And then you can go backwards or forwards. If you get a book that's too advanced or too complicated, right, then you'll move, you'll move to something simpler. If you get something that's too simple and too basic, then you'll move forward, right? So it doesn't matter where you start. Just start somewhere. So get a book on parenting and parenting styles, and parenting characteristics, and good parenting, right? Start somewhere, and then go from there, right? But basically, there are two types, and this is these are basic personality types, right? There are type A parents, or type A people, who are just kind of fast-driving, results-oriented, productive. They're always on the go. They look at everything like a job, right? They're at work all the time, right? Those people are often too obsessive, compulsive, things like that, and they need to kind of slow down. The other type is type B. Those are the parents who are so laid back. They let their kid do anything. Oh, whatever. They're going to see it out there anyway. They just kind of, and of course, most people fall somewhere in the middle, right? So there's a type A parent who gets there, wakes up their kid with exercise and workouts and <laughs> assignments and things at 5 a.m. in the morning or 6 a.m. in the morning. They rent it like a military base and they're running their, their home like a military base or installation or something like that. And then, you know, there's the other you know, laid back 
type B parent who's just, oh, whatever, no structure, get up whenever you want, we'll eat whatever, we'll figure it out, whatever. You want to obviously be somewhere in the middle. And, and not only that, you don't just want to be in the middle, but you want to be a type A person, a parent, when the situation suggests that, right? And then you want to be able to roll back to type B when you can. So you want to be flexible and dynamic. And be sure to check out the podcast episode on the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast. I did an episode about words like dynamic and what it means to be dynamic, right? Dynamic means that you're solid and stable yet flexible, right? Your heart is, you know, steel or platinum or titanium, but you're flexible like rubber, right? That's what you want, right? So you want to be a flexible parent. So get a book, do some research, be open to learning and changing and realize that it's probably the case, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, that there are a lot of things that your parents got wrong and you don't need to do those things, right? So get a book to help you. The next thing, parenting strategies. Um, you know, I'm kind of, uh, it's not a, I guess it's not the first time uh, that I've said that I'm not for corporal punishment. I think the corporal punishment generally just teaches a child that the bigger and more powerful you are, that you can hit, right? That you can use physical acts to change somebody or to influence their behavior. And I just don't think that's a good way to do it, right? Uh, because generally people don't hit on people who are smaller than them. I mean, who are who are uh, bigger than them, right? They pick people who are smaller than them. So that tells you something about it right there. I don't really want to get into a big ethical conversation about corporal punishment, but I just don't think it works. And I think if you were to go to a prison and ask how many people were spared the rod, you'd have very few hands. Most people who, when you go to a prison or, you know, a jail, things like that, most of them, They'll tell you, my dad, my mom, but usually my dad beat the hell out of me, right? I looked the wrong way and I got tossed across the room or beat, whatever. So I don't think corporal punishment works. Uh, I think reward systems work. And so what you should do is when, and here's the thing too, the first thing that you jump to when you have a medical problem shouldn't be a pill. The first thing that you jump to when your kid has done something shouldn't be a belt or a switch, you know, that just should, even if, even if corporal punishment were okay, and even if it worked, that should not be the first thing that you jump to. The first thing you do is you talk about it and find out what really happened and do it in a relaxed way so that your kid isn't put on guard and scared to say what really happened, right? Uh, you can get any kid to admit to something, even something they didn't do, depending on how you approach them. So that's number one. Uh, you know, don't be so serious about it. I mean, you know, obviously if it's a serious thing then you've got to be serious about it, but open, you start an open dialogue with your child about what happened. Find out what happened, get their side of the story, right? A lot of times we don't get the full side of the story and you punish your kid for something that they partially contributed to or didn't even do. That happens all the time. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to be that person. So number one, find out what happened. Number two, talk about it and understand why the kid did what they did. It, it, chances are they didn't do it. They did it to get attention. And there's something that they're missing and they use some improper action in order to obtain it. Have a conversation about it, honestly. Um, and here's another thing about corporal punishment. You're not going to be around to spank your kid every time they do something wrong, right? So you want them to be thinking about things. And there's a lot of studies out there that show that corporal punishment causes permanent brain chemistry changes that are irreversible. So, you know, that's my spill about that, right? And that goes back to what I suggested earlier. Get a get a manual, get a book on parenting and what works and what doesn't work. Uh, have an open dialogue, use reward systems, and use timeout. And here's the thing, too. You'll see here, 
in this uh, in the parentheses out there, parental timeout. One of the reasons why corporal punishment is not a good thing is because of this. Emotions, right? The state of mind that you're in, your mood, your attitude, all those things are going to influence how you function as a parent, right? And if you set up the right variables, any parent can get out of control. That's the problem. That's one of the big, big reasons why corporal punishment is not good. It's because it's hard to check ourselves, right? It's hard for the police to check themselves. It's hard for doctors to check themselves. Lawyers certainly don't do a good job of checking themselves. Lawyers and judges, we do a bad job of checking ourselves. And so, you know, it's not a good thing. And, you know, it just, it, there's too many ways that it'll fail, right? The next thing, Use encouragement versus criticism and ridicule, right? If you ridicule and criticize your kid, all you're doing is doing something that was done to you. It was probably done to you by a parent or you experienced it at work. A lot of people do that. Um, you know, something happens at work and then they take it out on their, you know, wife or kid at home. You don't want to do that. Use encouragement, right? Or, you know, if, if you don't have something positive to say, then... To, you know, have a seat and not say anything at all, but it, use encouragement. You're going to get more good results from your kid by encouraging the positive things that they do and rewarding those versus criticizing the things that they get wrong because they're going to remember the criticizations, not the encouragement for the most part, right? That's just how the brain works. The next thing, use prompting and encouragement versus punishment. Uh, I just got through talking about punishment. Um, now, punishment's different from a timeout. You should not use a timeout as punishment, right? That's not what it's meant to be. A timeout is to give your kid some space mentally to just kind of recover from their emotions and kind of think about things, right? And that just involves the growth of different parts of the brain, right? As you grow, different parts of your gr brain grow at a different speed. And just realize that part of the reason why your kid makes the mistakes that they do is certain parts of their brain, their brain grow faster than others. So it may be the case that the part of your child's brain that needs to deal with something in a more responsible way isn't grown yet. That's what childhood is all about, right? So don't treat your kid like they should be an adult. They're not an adult yet. They're growing into it. And, you know, just for the record, if you're talking about men and women, men don't fully generally develop their the full potential of their brains until their 40s. And women, their 30s, late 30s, early 40s. So just think the brain grows for 30 or 40 years. So don't expect your kid to be perfect at age 8 or 9 when their brain has only done, you know, I don't know what percentage of uh, brain growth. It depends on which part of the brain you're talking about. But just realize they're a child. They're going to make mistakes, right? Prompt them and encourage them. And also consider this, maybe the way that you're doing it is wrong. Be open-minded, right? The next thing, use incentives, rewards, and behavioral, behavioral reinforcers, right? So that just means use things to get a good result uh, and focus on those things. In general, focus on the things that your kid gets right. Um, and it could be the case, right, that the things that your kid tends to get right are in alignment with their purpose and what they really want to do versus what you may want them to do, right? So if your kid is getting something wrong, um, maybe, you know, like if you, let's say a kid, let's say you're a pro athlete, a pro basketball athlete, right? Let's say you're LeBron James. And there's a part of you that wants, you know, LeBron Jr. to, to be a pro basketball player. Well, maybe he doesn't get things right. Maybe he's better at spelling or engineering or science or math or whatever. 
and just realize the problems that you have with his basketball playing skills versus his other skills have more to do with what you want him to be instead of what his purpose and what his desire is, right? So step back and think about what your kid really wants and what their strengths and weaknesses are, right? And keep that in mind. But use incentives, rewards, and behavioral behavioral reinforcers. And you're going to get more of those if you go ahead and get a book or a manual on parenting, right? Parenting characteristics, insight and objectivity. Learn from experience in the past, right? So that's one of the things about being a parent is you've got to learn from things that worked in the past and things that didn't work. You've got to have insight into your own issues, right? Your own buttons and try to be more objective. It's almost impossible for you to be objective as a parent. So don't enter a situation with your kid in a discussion and act like you're an objective part. You really aren't right? A psychologist might come in or a therapist or a life coach or me or someone else might come in and be an objective party. You are not. You're subjective, right? So number one, be honest about that. You're not an objective party when it comes to your kid or yourself for that matter, right? And just realize that part of what your interactions are with your child are part of your own issues, right? Emotional expressions, lashing out versus inner self. The behavior is not a person, is not the person, right? When it comes to emotional expressions, you know, when kids have a temper tantrum or they're lashing out or things like that, just keep in mind that the behavior that they're exhibiting is a window into what's going on in a certain part of their brain, but that's not necessarily who they are as a person, right? That's a part of their brain reacting. And hopefully, if it's a negative reaction, they'll learn through conditioning and the things that you encourage versus the things that you don't necessarily reward or encourage and those behaviors that don't work, that are maladaptive, will die out, right? Things like that, like lying and, 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 and you know, those types of things. But just realize that the behavior is not the person. And that's not just true for your child, but it's true for you too, right? Now, can your behaviors, do those become a part of who you are and your personality? Absolutely, that's true. But the behavior and the person are two different things, right? And you can't change the person, but you can change the behavior, right? You can change the personality to, to some extent, right? Um, so anyway, the next thing, individual differences versus personality difference, uh, dynamics, right? And this goes back to what I said earlier about um, parenting characteristics, insight, and objectivity. Just realize that you are different from your child. Your astrological sign is different from them. Your personality is different from them. And that child is a combination of, of you know two pieces of DNA um, two unique pieces of DNA that came together so just realize that your kid is an individual they are not you right that's separate and and they're half of someone else too so just keep that in mind right and that your personality might be different from your child you might be an introvert and your child might be an extrovert right or vice versa so be open-minded to that and grow and learn from your child. Don't just think of your child as something you have to manage. Look at your child as an opportunity for you to grow and be a better person, right? Uh, next, teach by example versus words and directions. I mean, this sounds obvious, right? Um, when you say, you know, do as I do versus um, um, do as I say, you know, um, and also you'll see in parentheses, do the right thing, right? Number one, try to do the right thing. And just realize that your kid is going to learn more from what you do versus what you say. And when you say one thing and do another, they're going to notice that. And it may become a part of them. And when you see your kid saying one thing and doing another, just realize it came from somewhere. 
Now, it may have come from TV or their friends or some other environment, but the most, the biggest contributor to your child's development and who they are and who they develop into is you, right? So if you see things that are maladaptive in your child, you've got to take some level of responsibility and accountability for that. But just realize that your kid notices the difference between what your words say and what you actually do. And they learn that more and more quickly these days at a younger and younger age because of the world. The world forces them to do that, right? So try to lead by example and teach by example, right? And dis demonstrate and display the right thing versus the wrong thing, right? Because they're going to pay more attention to what you do versus what you say. Next, be willing to admit that you're wrong or that you made a mistake, right? You want your kid to be able to do that. And here's another example, uh, another extension of that is this. If your kid lies, they're lying for a reason, right? Kids do not lie for no reason, right? They lie because they want to escape being in trouble, right? Or they feel like if they tell the truth, they're going to get a bad result anyway, right? They figure, well, why not lie? Um, now, when they try it for their first time or first few times, that's a different story. But if a kid keeps lying, they're doing it for a reason because they're trying to avoid an expression or a reaction from you. And so that should tell you something, right? If your kid keeps lying, that tells you something about you and your parenting style. Whether you want to hear that or not, it's true, right? If your kid keeps lying, they're learning to lie from somewhere or from some, some situation. And my guess is if you're spending a lot of time with your child or you have a lot of interactions, they're lying because they have calculated in their growing brain and mind that they're going to get a better outcome or at least as good an outcome by lying than by telling the truth, right? And so if your kid lies all the time, that's kind of a reflection in the mirror that maybe maybe you need to approach how you react to them differently. If you react explosively or on high alert or with a heightened sense of, you know, um, expression every time that your kid says something, they want to avoid that, you know? And here's the thing, the mind is brilliant in how it handles things, right? And so if your kid tries to open a certain door, and when I use the word door, when I say door, I'm using it as a, an analogy to their response. If they, in the response that they expect from you, if they open a certain door or try to open a certain door and it's always locked, they're going to try a different door. Most kids aren't going to try the same door over and over. They're going to, if there are other doors in the room. And so just think, just realize that lying is another door that they're trying, right? And obviously that's not the door you want, but part of the reason why they're trying that door is because the other door didn't work. So look in the mirror, right? And then the last thing, as always, ask for help, right? If you've gotten ask for help sooner rather than later, if your kid is doing something, have a conversation with them. Go, you know, find a professional, come to my office. We can talk about parenting skills uh, and, and your child's behavior and things like that. Um, because parenting skills, the things that you demonstrate matter more than anything, right? You're the biggest example for your kid, right? Be the best example for your kid, but willing, be willing to ask for help and then search for solutions, right? And be open-minded, you know? There are going to be situations in life where you actually punish your kid for something they didn't do or you punish them incorrectly. I mean, nobody's perfect. That's just going to happen. But you want to limit the degree to that and you want to do things that prompt and promote and encourage and lead to your, ch your, your child being the best person they are and being a good person and exemplifying the values and 
beliefs and principles and ethics that you have and just realize if they don't you need to look take a look in the mirror okay next slide so the next slide okay family dynamics and cohesion strategies right so we just talked about parenting uh, and a little bit about you know your child and how to interact with them in terms of what they do but let's talk a little bit about family dynamics and cohesion strategies right so some of the things and i've got below that activity driven right you want to have a family and a set of dynamics and interactions that are activity driven. You want to do things with your kid, right? Uh, and they're going to learn from that. And that's how you teach them, right? When you sit down at the dinner table, when you go out to dinner, when you go to the movies, when you do this, or you have play games at home, or you watch a movie together, things like that, you want it to be activity driven. And you want it to be group activity driven. Um, you know, you want to have a household where you guys are spending more time doing things, whether it's learning or school or practice or playing games that teach them rather than just doing everything individually all the time, right? So let's talk about some of these topics. Define your family, create family values, beliefs, and principles, right? You create the, those. They don't just show up. Redefine your family priorities as needed. Always lead by example, which I just talked about. Flexibility is key, which I also talked about when I said you should be dynamic and flexible, and then make family fun, right? At the end of the day, if if, if your family's not fun, don't be surprised that your kid may not want to be there, right? You've got to make it fun. That doesn't mean it can't be performance, high performance and productive and successful and driven, but it needs to be fun too, right? Okay, so let's talk about some of these. So define your family, right? Communication is key. So you want to communicate with your child, with your spouse, with your friends, um, and, you know, you want to define your family by being one that communicates. You don't want a family where nobody communicates. Nobody knows where anybody stands. That's just not a good thing, right? Um, and a lot of times you see that in families where everybody just takes off, right? Everybody can't wait to get out uh, and they never come back, right? Because there was no communication. Um, but you, that's something you have to create and make happen and demonstrate, right? So if you want your kid to be a communicator or to communicate with you honestly and openly, then you've got to do the same thing. You've got to demonstrate it first, right? Um, you've got to be a peacemaker before they are, or they're not gonna they're not gonna learn to be that because you haven't demonstrated it. Create core value, core family values, beliefs, and principles, um, and then out in parentheses, collaboration is key, right? And that's what it's all about. That's why we have values, beliefs, and principles. So we can get along with the people around us, including our relatives and our children and our bosses and our friends and our, you know, neighbors and everybody else. If we did not have values and beliefs and principles and laws, it would just be chaos, right? Those things bring order. So you want to have family, good family values, beliefs, and principles, and you want to explore them and be open, right? Maybe there's some values family values that you learned that weren't functional, that maybe they were dysfunctional. So you want to get rid of some of that stuff, you know? Um, you do have the ability to change, but you want to explore those and you want to talk about them. Uh, when, my, when I have clients who come into my office, we do that. We talk, uh, you know, if somebody has, if somebody's indecisive about something, sometimes it's because they have two values that conflict or that they believe conflict or two beliefs that conflict, right? An example of that is somebody who wants to be rich Right and well off, but they also believe that you know something in the Bible says that that you know a rich man can't get into heaven. Right, that's a conflict. You've got to work through that. Right, I think that the phrase in the Bible is something like it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven 
than it is for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, right? And you get the obvious thing. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's impossible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, right? Unless you're talking about some oversized needle that's, that could actually be built these days, but that certainly could not be built back then when that phrase uh, originated. But, you know, uh, you've got to look at your values and your beliefs and your principles, and if you don't get the results that you want in life in general, it could be because your values conflict, your beliefs conflict, or your principles conflict, right? You have one belief, but you have another one. You have to resolve those. And that's one of the things that I help my clients do when they come in for an appointment, uh, especially if I see that they're conflicted about something, if they have trouble setting priorities, if they can't make decisions or they're having trouble with decisions. That's a lot of times it resolves with exploring those and and, and fix uh, fixing those or working on those, right, or working through them. Redefine your family priorities as times and circumstances change, right? Families are dynamic. They should be. They change over time. People come, people go, people go to college, people go to school, people go from elementary school to junior high school. They develop uh, talents and skills. They develop interests. They develop their personalities. They start playing a sport. You know, families change. And so you've got to be willing to compromise, right? And you have to be flexible, right? Compromise is key. Flexibility is required. And so that requires you to be dynamic as a parent and flexible. And the thing about that is if you start being that way and practicing that from the beginning, you're not going to have to work as hard in the end, right? It's just like preparing for an exam. If you prepare throughout the whole class, uh, the whole course, you don't have to cram at the last minute or pack in a bunch of stuff. You've been practicing it all along. So practice compromise uh, and then practice being flexible. Always lead by example. I talked about that earlier, right? Actions mean more than words. Uh, behaviors mean more than slogans. That doesn't mean that you can't aim for the best, right? But just keep in mind that your children and everybody else, your spouse, they're going to, you know, they're going to look at what you do versus what you say. Uh, and that's a check on you too, right? Next, flexibility is key. Absolutely. I can't stress that enough. Uh, and, you know, obviously you want to be dynamic. You want to be stable and strong um, and solid, yet flexible, right? Um, stable, solid, and strong, yet flexible, right? And another word for flexibility is malleability, right? Um, and, uh, you know, you could also say... Um, um, malleability, you could say that. Uh, there are a lot of things you could say, compromising, right? That kind of thing. But, you know, that's the key is, is you want to be firm, uh, but you also want to be able to change and, and fluctuate or adjust to the circumstance, right? Uh, you know, just like the use of hard power versus soft power, which I talk about in uh, one of my presentations, the last um, one of my um, my podcast, the one on that talked about dynamic, right? That's important. Don't sweat the small stuff, right? Focus on the big picture, and you don't want to choose between one or the other, right? You don't want a borderline personality kind of situation. A borderline personality is a personality that's kind of rigid and it sees everything in black and white. Everybody's either good or bad. Every situation is either awful or the best thing that ever happened. Right, but that generally life doesn't happen that way. Now, are there high and low moments? Absolutely, but if you see everything in life as either the best win ever 
or the worst horrific situation ever, something's wrong, right? So you want to be able to go back and forth between the big picture and the small stuff, like, like a camera, like a lens does, right? That's the great thing about a camera, uh, like, you know, a modern camera. Um, one that has a lens that can go in and out, right? Because that's what life is going to require you to do. Life is going to require you to go in and out all the time. Uh, between the small stuff or the details and the big picture, right? Uh, and you've got to be flexible enough and dynamic enough to do that. You're going to be more successful if you can, right? The next thing, make family fun, but safe, right? <laughs> I mean, you want to have fun, but you don't. You also want to be a parent, right? And it, a lot of times I hear people say, you know, you're supposed to be your kid's parent, not their friend. Mm, I think you need to be both. I don't think it's it's there. Those two are mutually exclusive. I think in some ways you need to demonstrate what a good friend is to your kid, but you also need to be parent. Now, what that requires, which I'll talk about later on, is boundaries, right? And the reason why it's so hard for people to create boundaries is because the biggest boundary you need to create is on your own impulses, right? So it's up to you to be a parent and a friend right? At the same time. But you want to make family fun, right? You don't want everything to be serious business. You don't want a boardroom type of, you know, family style. You don't. In some things, do you want to have family meetings? Absolutely. Do you want to talk about stuff? Yeah. Do you have want to have situations where it's serious business? Absolutely. But you also want to do stuff fun. You want to play uh, cards, you know, play card games, or other games that engage people and make it fun to be there. And the more fun family is, the more the more safe your kid's going to feel. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that you run your house like a romper room or like a Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that it should be fun. It should have fun moments, too. It shouldn't be just serious like a, like a military base or installation or whatever. It should be some fun moments. You guys should do fun activities as a family. Go to the movies. Take a walk. Get a dog, you know, a pet that helps to bring cohesiveness. And they, you know, dogs are really, really good at responding kind of to energy to different people and being there. And that's a clue to other people. I mean, it's that's a good thing. But, you know, family games or switching off who cooks. And, and this person cooks tonight. And this person cooks tonight. And this person makes this. And this person does that. And, you know, you need to do stuff like that. Involve everybody. Make it fun, regardless of the age or how somebody falls in the family or what their role is, right? And then I'll ask, always ask for help or be willing to ask for help, right? Okay, next slide. Uh, we're kind of getting to the end here. We'll wrap up uh, shortly. Uh, relationships, boundaries, stability, and cohesiveness, right? So what do healthy and well relationships look like? Uh, one thing that I've learned about boundaries Avoiding toxic people, toxic relationships, toxic environments, and toxic circumstances. Relationship rules. What does stability look like? And then ask for help, right? Uh, so let's talk about each one of these. Uh, I'll try to breeze through it uh, so we'll finish up on time. What do healthy and well relationships look like? What's normal? Well, that's a good question, right? Are most relationships healthy? Eh, it depends on the family, the environment. Is health the norm? I would say these days it's not because of technology and just, I think, in a lot of ways, society and people have lost their moral compass and lost their way and lost their sense of ethics and everything's about me, myself, and I and things like that. So in a, in a lot of ways, I think what's normal has changed. Um, 
but a lot of other things. So, I mean, that's the thing about change. Some things change for the better, other things change for the worse. But it's a good question. What do healthy and well relationships look like? And I think that's why it's good to have a book um, or get a book on relationships or, or in family dynamics and parenting styles and things like that. That's way, that way you kind of have a sense of what a good thing is, right? Um, so, you know, even if, even if, um, it's overly realistic or idealistic, it's good to kind of know what that is, right? So each family gets to decide what, what's normal or not. You know, uh, I think I remember what that show came out, wife swap or parent swap or whatever. And what was totally normal in one household was completely outrageous and uncalled for, unheard of in another one. And, and that's just kind of the nature of households, right? So define what's normal in your family. One thing that I've learned about boundaries, <laughs> by the way, what are boundaries, right? So one, the big thing, which I just mentioned earlier, is the one thing that I've learned about boundaries is in order to, um, the reason why boundaries are important and, and the reason why they're so hard to create with others is because boundaries require us to create even stronger holes or management of our own impulses and reactions, right? So that's the biggest reason why people have trouble creating boundaries, because if you put a boundary on someone else or the relationship, it also requires you to put a boundary on yourself, right? If you tell somebody else not to do this in the same in one situation, and then you go and do the same thing, you're holding yourself to a different standard, and that's not fair, right? Or you're holding them to a higher standard, and that's not fair. Um, but you know, boundaries, um, and I do, I do an episode about this in my podcast. So check that out on boundaries, but boundaries are the rules of engagement that we set up to make relationships work with other people, right. And with ourselves. So you've got to have boundaries if you want relationships to work. And if, if not, they're going to be chaotic, right? The opposite of chaos is order, right? You want order as much as possible, but if you don't have any boundaries, you're going to end up with chaos. Uh, in order to avoid toxic people, toxic relationships, toxic environments, and toxic circumstances, we have to begin number one, right? It all starts with you, and that is absolutely true. And that goes back to what I said. Um, you have to look at your own impulses and reactions to things in life if you want to change things, right? Um, you can't ask other people to make changes if you're not willing to do the same thing. In order to avoid toxic people, toxic relationships, you must cleanse your own impulses and reactions, right? Examples of that, somebody who has an addiction problem, they go to rehab, they get cleaned up, and then they go back to the same places, bars, clubs, whatever, uh, you know, pubs that they used to hang out at. Well, gee, what's going to happen? You know, you're setting yourself up to fail. The same thing is true with um, behavior styles or what you do as a person or the kind of person you are. If you surround yourself with the same people who have the same bad habits you have, it's going to be harder to change them, right? Um, so just take accountability for the circumstances that you put yourself in, your own impulses and reactions, and just kind of realize if you want to make a change, it's going to be a lot easier to do if you change the environment and you change the people who are influencing you. Relationship rules. Um, the most important thing here is the categorical imperative. Don't do something to somebody else that you wouldn't want done to you, right? I think in, in today's world, that's not practiced very much. I think everybody's kind of focused on me, myself, and I, and I can do whatever, but you need to do whatever. I mean, I see people do that all the time when I commute every day to work, and I'm like, seriously? Um, and then the golden rule, and those are slightly different. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So while the golden rule says to do good, the categorical imperative says to do no harm, right? And 
the funny thing about it, and I talk about this in my in the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast, is when you go to medical school, uh, you make an oath to do both of those, but in a certain order. The order is do no harm and then do good. And you know, as you'll see in the podcast when you tune in, a lot of times medicine does more harm than good sometimes. And and that shouldn't happen, but that's just the way that our system is driven. And if you turn in, tune in, you'll find out the reasons why I suggest that that's the, the way that it is. Next, boundaries are required, and I just talked about that. If you don't have boundaries, you're going to end up with chaos instead of order, right? You're going to have, uh, you're going to end up with just, you know, a messy situation instead of one that's organized, productive, and efficient, and happy, and fun. Uh, redefining relationships with activities and conversations, right? That requires neat renegotiation. So you want to redefine your relationships with the things that you do with people and the conversations that you have. And if there's a need to change the nature of the relationship, then you've got to do that with activities, right? Um, Non-negotiables. Some lines shouldn't be crossed. I suggest corporal punishment should be one of those. But um, And I mentioned earlier that the problem with corporal punishment is our own self-control, self-restraint, objectivity, reactivity, and emotional state, right? We can't be objective about those. And so you put yourself in an impossible situation when you do that because, you know, you can't look at yourself objectively. You can't look at your child objectively. You can't look at the circumstance. So you can't have a lot of objectivity. And it's just, it leads to too much risk for something going wrong. And that happens all the time. And that's why we have laws about certain things. And you're just like, why do we have that law? Well, because some parent did this because they were out of control, right? And then the last, but you, but basically you should have some, some lines that should not be crossed. And relationships and you got to determine what those and when people cross them you need to have a conversation with them in a polite nice way but you need to talk about it and you know you need to find out why they crossed that line there's a reason why and you need to know that because that's going to help you in your decision and your relationship and the dynamics of that relationship going forward what does stability look like well i did a podcast episode with one of my clients about that a client of mine who um you know did not want to leave her home uh, she certainly did not want to drive. She had a lot of anxiety associated with driving, but her driving wasn't the problem. It was something, some other things. And once we started working through those things, then she went back to driving and got you know, promotions at work and raises and all kinds of things. Her world just started to open up and expand, but it wasn't about that. So consider stability, what stability should look like in your life. And you have to design it. It doesn't just happen automatically. Things do not just happen automatically. You have to create and design them. If not, you're going to be just less left with what the world hands you. And obviously, in a lot of situations, we've seen that life doesn't always hand us the best. So we have to create it. And then the last thing, obviously, ask for help. Um, moving on to the next slide. General life growth improvements and success principles, right? Some of the things I'm going to talk about here, and then we'll start wrapping up, is the seesaw principle, karma, and other principles, foundational beliefs, values, principles, and ethics, purpose, education, and work, Designing and creating a journey, a path, a final destination, goals, plans, strategies, and actions, taking accountability and responsibility, creating core, functional, foundational boundaries, uh, operant conditioning, classical conditioning and learning, stuff versus relationships, which I think is important to talk about these days, letting go or the concept of letting go and releasing things, um, uh, self-care and self-love, and then asking for help. Uh, so let's talk about some of those things real quick, right? So the seesaw principle, right? The seesaw principle is the principle that I use in my office all the time in my practices and with my clients. And it's this, if things go too far in one direction, 
the key, the answer to it, obviously, is to reverse it, right? So if, you, if somebody comes in and they're just not motivated and they're not um, enthused or they're not driven, things like that, then I've got to take them from being non-driven to being driven. And the question is, how do you do that? What drives them, right? So we get to what drives you to kind of fix it. But just the general principle, you know, people who are always on the go, they need to slow down. People who don't do anything, they need to get up. So just realize that there's some things where you need to raise the lever or raise the bar in other areas where you might need to lower it a little bit, right? And the reason why you're doing that is because you're trying to bring you, yourself, all the parts of you into balance, stability, and equilibrium. And like I said, I did a podcast all about that, so definitely check that out. Karma, I talked about that. I talked about the categorical imperative or the golden rule uh, earlier in the golden rule and just about paying it forward. And you especially want to do that in terms of your child, right? Trash in, trash out. Whatever you put in to a system or a person's mind, that's what you're going to get out. And so if you're getting out trash, then you need to change the content or the input, right? And focus on investing. Um, I also did a podcast episode about return on investment. You know, look at a situation. If you're not getting what you want, you've got to change something, right? It could be that you want the wrong thing, but it also could be that you're doing the wrong things, you're investing in the wrong things, right? And so you want to look at the return on investment, which is basically, I'm putting out this, I'm putting in this, what am I getting back? And what you'll find is if you do that and, and look at a lot of situations, there are a bunch of things that you need to change or stop doing because you're not getting any return on your investment. Core foundational values, beliefs and principles and ethics. I've talked about that. I think it is important to have some spiritual and religious beliefs. They don't have to be religious, but they could be spiritual, right? You know, something greater than who you are. And I think that that helps drive and give you a passion. Um, designing and creating a journey. Oh, I'm sorry. Purpose. Education versus work. Right? I think it's important to kind of have a sense of or talk about or think about the reason why you exist. Why am I here? Right? And that goes back to me, your purpose. Right? What's the reason why I'm here? What am? What is my function? What, what am I here to do or show or teach? I think everybody has has a purpose. It's up to you to to discover what that is or define or create it, right? And I think it's a combination of all those things. I don't think it's just something that you're just born with, and I don't think it's something you totally create. I think it's those two kind of things coming together that kind of design it. So you want to design a journey, a pathway. Um, and if you don't, the, the world's going to do it for you. And then the question you want to ask from that is, does the world have your best interests in mind? Uh, probably not especially depending on your background. Do you trust the world to get it right when it comes to your journey, your pathway in life, your final destination, destination where you end up? I don't, you know? So some of the examples that I use for that, kind of to convey that principle is this, swinging through the ball in tennis. When you swing the ball, swing at the ball in tennis, you swing through the ball. You don't just try to hit the ball. You just keep going. You keep swinging, right? And that just means you're fully invested, so decide the things that you want to be fully invested in and give it your all. Give it 100%. You know, if you're if you're not going to give it 100%, then don't do it. Switch to something that you would be willing, that you're passionate enough about to actually give your full, your all. Um, Three-point shooting analogy, that's something I love to use. And that's this. If you're shooting a three-pointer in basketball, your one hand supports the ball, right? Another hand thrusts the ball forward, but your eyes are the other part of that, and they're focused on the goal, what you want to achieve, right, which is the rim or the nets. So you, part of what you do has got to be practice, right? Practice supporting the ball, 
practice thrusting it forward. That's just practice, but your eyes have to practice on being focused on the goal, right? And letting go of distractions and other things that aren't getting you to where you want to be, right? That aren't giving you the return on the investment that you want, right? Like lines on a legal pad. One of the reasons why there's lines on a legal pad or, or a sheet of paper, uh, a writing sheet of paper, is to provide structure. So that's going to help you stay focused. And then obviously, you know, when you talk about things like education, you know, there's a reason why we have subjects and classes and lessons and grades to keep you focused and efficient and productive. Uh, you know, you don't want to go into necessarily a classroom where this person's doing math and this one's doing spelling and Man, that sounds kind of chaotic to me. You want some order, right? And you want to use mentors, coaches, and partners or collaborators in order to help you create your journey, right? And you want to keep your eyes on the prize, right? The journey. Uh, and that requires you, if you want to be successful, to let go of some things, right? To make priorities and then ignore distractions along the way, right? Good results are the result of goals, plans, strategies, and actions, right? You want something, that's your goal, right, or your desire, but you've got to have it backed up or lead to plans, strategies, and actions. You can have all the goals and plans and strategies in the world, but if you don't act on them, they're for naught. You might as well not have had them at all, right? Take accountability and responsibility for your actions, reactions, beliefs, performance, and results, um, or performance and results. And especially, I would say, your actions and reactions, right? Look at how you react to situations. If you want a different set of results uh, or outcomes in life from yourself and other people, look at how you react. It could be that your reactions are getting in the way. And a lot of times, people aren't able to look in the mirror. They, they aren't insightful about their own situations. So if you look at your own reactions and are fair and honest about them, you might change some things and get better outcomes. Uh, you've got to create core functional boundaries, right, based upon your values, beliefs, principles, and ethics that I, I earlier suggested that you should explore and define, right? And the reason why you've got to create those is because when times get tough, you need something to fall back on, right? You need a foundation. That's why every home has a foundation. And homes that don't tend to stand tend to be ones that lack a firm foundation. So you've got to have a firm foundation. And for us as people, that's going to be your purpose, Um your drives, but it's also going to be your values and your beliefs uh, and your principles, right? Conditioning. I talked about that when I talked about parenting, but, you know, there are certain things that you can do to make things more likely to happen and other things you can do to make them less likely to happen. And in a general sense, you can condition the right things to happen versus the wrong things. And that's just something you need to explore. You can always do that at my office. That's something I do with my clients all the time. But you very well do um, help create the reality that you end up with through condition, right? And that brings in, you know, to question the next thing. What's more important, stuff or relationships? What's truly important? And those aren't mutually exclusive. You can like having nice things and want to have good relationships too. Yeah. But at the same time, just be open and honest and realize that you're going to have to choose at some point which one are more important, right? Um, and you have to look at what's going to give you the greatest return on your investment. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of situations in terms of relationships and things, you could have all the money in the world, but if you get sick and you need somebody there, your money's not going to buy somebody who truly cares about you, right? That's something that you build. 
foundationally through relationships. So just keep that in mind. Some things that money can't buy. Letting go. You've got to, on a regular basis, release text toxic baggage, right? Things that you think about and things that you worry about and things that you feel that aren't good. You've got to let it go. You can't just automatically wait for it to go because it won't. I promise you it will not. Practice is required. So, And there's a technique that I teach my clients and we use in my office where I help them learn and practice letting go and releasing the toxic stuff that they don't need, right? You don't just want that stuff basting in your mind all the time. Um, and, you know, that's a part of self-care and self-love. And, you know, I did a podcast, a two-part series that you should definitely check out um, um, with singer, actress, performer, and social media host Phoenix Soul. Check that out on my podcast, but it's all about self-care and self-love. Self-care and self-love aren't just things. They're practices. You have to do them. And then last, ask for help, right? So we are getting ready to wrap up here. So, okay, there we are. Right, wrapping up. So these are some of the things that I just want to wrap up with. Number one, uh, get the big stuff right. If you have to choose between the details and the big stuff, which you shouldn't, but they're not mutually exclusive, but if you do, focus on the big stuff, right? Um, next, don't sweat all of the details, but do pay attention, right? And that kind of goes back to what I just said. Focus on the big stuff. Try to get most of the details right, but don't be obsessive and compulsive about every little detail. We're not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Life's not perfect. It's just not ever going to be. Uh, and honestly, I kind of dread a world where everything's perfect. Um, I think a lot of, in some ways, we're trying to create that with AI, artificial intelligence now, but I think it's going to be scary, and I think we're going to end up with something we don't want. So be be careful what you ask for. You just might get it, but you know, don't sweat all the details. Focus on the big stuff. Right? Create core values, beliefs, principles, and ethics, right? And that, that's going to challenge who you are as a person right now. So that's going to cause you to grow, right? Create good habits and practices. And the key is practices, right? And the key word in practices is practice, right? That means doing something over and over until it becomes automatic, right? Lead by example. And let me go back to good habits and practices, right? It requires just as much energy. To practice bad habits as it does good habits. So start now when you want to change them, that's a different story. When you want to go from good habits to bad habits, that doesn't require a lot of energy and work. But if you want to go from bad habits to good habits, that requires a lot more energy. Um, and the analogy that I use for that is it's a lot easier to be proactive than it is to be reactive. If you're proactive, it's going to cost you a whole lot less than if you're reactive. Uh, and I could you know, bring up a million examples of that. Next, lead by example. Uh, you certainly want to do that as a parent. You want to try to do that with your friends, relatives, coworkers, and in your relationships, right? And if you lead by example, that's another thing that's practice, right? So an example is, leading by example is a practice, right? Lean on your foundation, your building blocks, right? And that's what, that's why you create core values, beliefs, ethics, and principles, because you can fall back on them during uh, insecure uh, or testy situations. You know, life is going to be full of challenges and obstacles and dilemmas. But if you've got that core foundation there, you can always fall back on it, right? You don't lose that. Just like learning to ride a bike, right? Uh, and then the last thing, whether it comes to relationships or life or work or family, try to make it fun and definitely make it loving, right? The more fun and loving you make the household, that you help create 
the more that people are going to want to be there and the more you're going to want to be there. And I promise you, if it's not fun and loving, you and everybody else is going to check out and want to be somewhere else. Right. Um, so those are the things that I'd like to wrap up with. So um, before we get to the questions and answers, I just wanted to um, thank you again for tuning in. I just also wanted to let you know most of the topics, a lot of the topics that I've already discussed, you can find on my podcast, Fresh Start with Dr. David. That is everywhere, including Spotify, Our Heart Radio, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Apple Music, YouTube, Audible, Amazon Music, Alexa and Google. It's everywhere you can find a podcast. I promise you it's there. Uh, and I've got podcast episodes on everything ranging from self-love to how to navigate healthcare relationships when you present to the doctor, depression, um, the train derailment in Ohio, and everything in between, right? Check out my books. I've got two self-improvement books and one diet, nutrition, health, wellness, and weight loss book called The Nutrient Diet. You can find those on Amazon or if you email me, um, um, I can send you more information, and if you buy a physical copy of the book, then I will, uh, and then you share it on social media, uh, you can even tag me, uh, or tag tag one of my groups on Facebook, then I'll give you an audible version for free. You can check out my practices online, you can email me about those, or you can just see it right here, uh, I think they were up on the screen before, uh, and then you can also check for resources on my um on my websites, on two of my websites, MLC of Greater Atlanta and Atlanta Coaching and Hypnotherapy Associates, there's a resources page that has resources for different problems, whether it's autism or depression or substance abuse or anything. Check out that those resources pages. They're pretty comprehensive. They tell you what to do, uh, depending on the situation. So you can find me in all of those places. There's all shown. Um, and with that, I'd like to thank you so much for tuning in. And feel free to ask whatever questions you want. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.